This is exactly right. If you're a fan of meticulously crafted worlds that reimagine every little detail, then you'll enjoy the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Host Eric Malinsky spent over a decade working in public radio and uses those skills to create a sound-rich podcast that features interviews with Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, the writers of hit TV shows like Star Trek Strange New Worlds, designers of games like Magic the Gathering, and the puppeteer who designed Miss Piggy. You can find Imaginary Worlds wherever you're listening to this podcast. to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And we're back once again to talk about movies and other things. How are you? <laughs> I'm great now. I've been serenaded. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that up. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Belie- believe it. I know it's hard. No, I'm okay. I'm okay this week. Um, I've got a lot going on, but it's always it's always stuff I can't talk about. So it's like a very stressful week, but um, it'll be all right. Can you give us like a ballpark? Um, well, my book's out today. Woo woo! So that's happening. Oh my god, we're so excited! Congratulations! <laughs> Thank oh my god, you. did you think that this day was ever going to come? I mean, come on! This is I awesome. truly didn't. I truly didn't. There are many times when I was writing it where I thought, eh, I don't need to finish this. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you, maybe this is something that you can't or won't answer, but I'm just simply curious because I think, I mean, I've never written a book. I think a lot of people out here listening have probably not written a book. How long does it take? I mean, it feels like to me, just as your friend, it feels like the process from like end to end yeah. was a while. But, you know, yeah. I'm sure that there were reasons for that. But also, ta- writing a book takes a long time, right? It can. It certainly can. Um, mine did because for a few factors. I mean, I, I when I signed, basically, it's been five years from wow. end to end for this book. And the reason yeah. is that I originally signed with uh, a publisher and I signed with Simon & Schuster and they... Like a month or two after I signed with them, um, also signed Milo Yiannopoulos, who was this horrible, wretched racist, like mm-hmm. violently racist. Um, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to share a publisher with that dude. So I left my contract and mm. they wouldn't actually let me leave my contract. So they held the book. And so they held me to my year contract. So that first year was just literally because I could not write. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, then I the year was up and I sold it to Viking, who are fantastic. And I, you know, said I was setting out to write it in a year. Um, and then within that time, my grandma got dementia yeah. and things in my life just kind of took a, a turn towards spending more time with family stuff. Um, you know, I was working in L.A. and the TV stuff took took a lot of time away from the book writing. Um, so it took me a while to kind of get get going, like get going yeah. on it. And then when I did start writing, it was really emotional. So that took longer than I thought it would take. Um, so I think that for a regular old person with nothing going on but a book to write, it could take a year, but it did not take me a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it did not take me a year. But it's also it took the time it needed to take, basically, also, because like with the way that I end the book um, is very specific to 
a time frame closer to now, even though the book's not about now, um, which will only make sense if you read it. Go pick it up, folks. The Ugly Cry on sale now. Uh, <laughs> and do you, do you recommend that people get it through like their local bookstore or is there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's so strange because I'm not I don't want to be provincial about where and how people read. There are some towns that have no bookstores. There are some towns that have one bookstore, a library. I truly don't mind how you read it. I personally support independent bookstores as much as possible because I love them. Um, There are lots of independent bookstore options online as well. But I'm not going to judge you for getting your book anywhere, anywhere you want to get it. I think that it's, you know, libraries are fantastic. I always support a library. and. You know, I will, however you want to get it. I'm not picky. Yeah, well, that's cool. You know, I love the library, um, the um, digital option. Yeah. ebook. So oh good. Oh my gosh. I couldn't believe that. Like, honestly, I felt like I stepped out of the, you know, like I basically became a flapper the day that I realized <laughs> that you could get ebooks from the library. Like, I was like, oh my God, this modern world. I feel like a modern girl in a modern world. <laughs> They're changing all the gas lamps to electric. <laughs> I know, it was crazy. Uh, I still buy a lot of books too, but I like the ease of of the ebook from the library. Um, it's great, and audiobooks too, man. It's amazing. Same. I just love books, man. I love books. I love mov- movies. I just love however I can get that stuff. You know, I'm, I've always been a big supporter of doing it however it makes sense to you. And I love an ebook. I never thought I would. Like when it, I mean, you remember they first came out, they first became a thing, and I was like, reading a book on a computer, bleh. But yeah. I have since come around. It's awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, and <laughs> my my, I feel the same way. And I think I'm going to admit this about myself because, you know, why not? Um, the reason why I didn't take to ebooks as quick as some of my other friends is because I totally wanted people to see what I was reading. Like, I was like, <laughs> I want to be in a coffee shop and I want people to think that I'm smart and cool because I'm reading some like awesome book. This is coming from a person <laughs> who joined a writing club and basically wrote in the pitch black <laughs> of a cafe. To be cool. So I totally believe it. I totally believe it. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. That's just, you know, especially when I was younger, I was like, I need people to understand that I have good taste. Right. And I can't do that with a Kindle. Sorry. (laughs) It doesn't look as cool, man. I also, like, I definitely... I still prefer physical books, even though I will read, you know, my library books on an iPad or what have you. Um, I prefer physical books because I think they that holding the physical object makes me literally calm down enough to sit and read. Like if I'm looking at my iPad, I'm off playing Animal Crossing. Like I'm off playing games within two minutes of sitting down with that thing. Yeah, I know. It's so easy to be distracted. Yeah. um, I'll tell you this like really quick story about being in high school and doing something like this, like showing off a book Um, because it actually destroyed me, but made me stronger. Oh, Um, shit. When I was in high school, we had this like legendary freak teacher and he was this like really cool hippie. He, um, you know, was he wore Birkenstocks to our high school. Like I had never <laughs> seen Birkenstocks before that. And, you know, he was like 
total like he was from, you know, New York and he was really cool and, you know, had kind of a cigarette smoky voice. But and you could tell that he was into great stuff. Um, And so I wanted to impress him so badly. So I brought a copy of On the Road by Jack Kerouac into, into class and I had it like sitting on my desk you know, and he starts coming by, handing out people's papers, and I'm like, he's gonna see that I'm reading <laughs> beat literature, and he is going to think I'm the coolest person alive. And I remember he came past my desk, and he looks at on the road and goes, "Yeah, Kerouac's not so great." <gasps> and I was like, God "Knife to damn. the heart, <laughs> fuck!" Just got shot to death. <laughs> oh my. God. God. Yeah. But then it made me realize that I can't be that person. I can't just like show off my, my all, you know, like I can't just go being a show off about stuff that I like, even though I would continue to show off books much later into my life, (laughs) obviously. But it's just that thing where I was like the thing that I wanted so bad completely backfired. So well, also like, you know, like if you're you're going to be a show off, then you just got to be prepared for the good and the bad. And sometimes people will call you on your on your shit. I know. I mean, it's kind of like that old thing, too, where I'm just sort of like that happens so much now, especially in the age of social media. Somebody is always there to shoot your balloon out of the sky. Look. I'm 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 in the club. We are very we're all we had a very similar teen trajectory. Yeah. Well before we knew each other. I the first time I went to college when I was when I was right out of high school at 18, um, I went to a school right outside of Boston, a little town called Newton for about a year at this college called LaSalle. And my English professor was the cutest, just like kind of like longish hair, little glasses. I just thought he was so cute. Tried to impress him. So I go out to the library and I bring Finnegan's Wake to class. Mm. Didn't crack it open. Didn't crack it open. Just brought it to class. Yep. And I was like, have you read this? And he was like, are you reading that? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, let me know how that goes. When I tell you, Millie, that I cracked open that book and I felt like I was having a fucking stroke. That book does not make a lick of sense to me to this day. And he probably thought I was high. Like I don't know what he thought, but he was like, are you reading it? And I'm like, yeah, it's like a book. Of course I'm reading it. No, it's like an aneurysm on the page. And I just was so embarrassed. So embarrassed. Oh my god, this was your this was your jazz creep moment. I mean, this is your Charles Mingus moment where you were like, you know, I'm telegraphing my good taste to people and then it just Nope. You know. He was uh, like, You are a wild he he probably thought I, I needed to be committed. I I cannot even tell you how he looked at me. It was like, <laughs> Are you reading that? And I'm like, I'm your best student. I'm the greatest. Of course I am. No, I was not. I was not reading it. And I could, I can't read it to this day. There's a sentence. Is, that's the book that the sentence at the end blends into the sentence at the beginning. Ugh. So it's like the last word and first word is river run. And it's like, what is it? Oh, God. Like away, away, along, a last, a love along the river run or something like that. And I truly felt like I was having a stroke. Like, I, I don't understand what my, what my brain's doing right now. 
Who let him do this? Who let him do this book? If you ever see anyone carrying Finnegan's wig, they are a lie. (laughs) They are an entire ass lie. (laughs) But I will say this. If I saw somebody carrying The Ugly Cry by Daniel Henderson, I would be like, I mean, that would impress the shit out of me. Let's just say that. Thank you, homie. Yeah, I hope people read it. I hope they like it. My part was writing it. Well, honestly, like I, I, I that to me, I think would be the most satisfying thing about writing a book is like seeing other people read it, seeing it in a library, like all these like little moments. I remember when feminist Ryan Gosling came out and I was at like some kind of like gift shop. It was like a paper source or something like that. And at the time, I'm not even sure if we'd actually met yet. No. I remember seeing it in the paper source and I texted you and I was like, oh, my God, I'm like shopping with my mom and my sister. And I'm seeing this book that you wrote. And what a I mean, what a fantastic moment. And by that time, we had probably filled in about 100 of these texts already from your friends. But I was no, just sort of like, oh, my God, like that to me would. I mean, I was like happy to see it and I didn't even write it. Oh, yeah. thanks, Fred. I know those are always special texts. That That's the fun to me, because like, I don't know, I feel like once you write something and put it out in the world, it's not really yours anymore. Like you kind of have to just let it go. And however people experience it is how they experience it. So I loved writing it. You know, like I I, I really dug into the, the writing process for that reason. But the other small joy that I always forget on the other side is that people I love and will, will also read it and I'll get to talk to them about it. So that's always a blast to like get texts and photos and stuff. And it's cool. I think um, I'm going to be seeing my grandma <laughs> this summer. I'll be in my hometown this summer. Oh my gosh. And um, I think it's going to be a little overwhelming to see my book in my town library from when I was a kid. Oh, I bet. That might do it for me. That might that might send me over the edge. But otherwise, I'm just like, cool, do your thing, man. It's out there. Yeah. Are your family getting free copies? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, you want to read about yourself? You spend that twenty seven ninety nine. <laughs> Damn, even Corey, even Drink. <laughs> Corey's already read it. Yeah. <laughs> he got a digital copy. No, I'll give a copy. I'll give a copy to my mom, I'm sure. Um, and I just recorded the audiobook. I finished recording the audiobook, so my grandma will be able to listen to it. Um she you you know she can't calm down enough to read an actual book these days. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I it's great that you do the audiobook too, because it's kind of like being in a podcast with you. Without me, which is fantastic for <laughs> no, people. I wish no, you could have done my audiobook with Oh, me. shut up. I should have done the thing where I acted out funny accents. Like, I don't know if you have a um older British woman in your book, but oh, I yeah, could I do. do that. That person. No. Sorry. There is something that really surprised me about recording the audiobook is there is a point in the book where I I have David Lee roth lyrics in my book (laughs) awesome there's a whole chapter about something that involves those lyrics and i wasn't allowed to sing them i had to just say them wow like and just saying the words to a david lee roth song just feels wrong in your heart yeah it's just like hummily babily zibbily bubbly (laughs) zibbly bop and i'm like nah that ain't right (laughs) Because okay, you couldn't sing it because it's some sort of like rights yeah. issue. Is that yeah, it's a rights issue. That is wild. But of course, before I knew that, fully sang it like top of my lungs, sang the lyrics out, and then the director of the audiobook was like, "Um, you can't sing." And I'm like, "I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Just now, <laughs> blow your fucking eardrums out." 
I want to know. I wonder if this is the first time that those lyrics have been written in a book. I wonder if if anybody Ooh. else has referenced the Hamala Baby Lazima Labama Le Hamala. You think? <laughs> Look, Library of Congress, hit us up. <laughs> it's like uh, when you're writing a paper and you find out how many times like a certain article exactly. has been used. <laughs> It'll just be the number one and it'll put me on. I'm sure if I'm sure I'm the only person that has put those in a book that is not a book of lyrics. And I also guarantee I'm on some kind of watch list now because of it. Well, let me just tell you, if we had had the forethought to clear that with David Lee Roth, like if we could have gone to David Lee Roth and been like, hey, can we sing this very brief? You know, actually, I don't even think he wrote that or did he? No, because it's based on a song by like Louis Prima or something yeah, like that. It's the, so you would have to ask for Louis Prima's permission. Yeah. Holy shit. OK, that changes things. Exactly. Uh, you can't just roll up to Louis Prima's estate and be like, yo. And they're like, absolutely not. I'm 90. <laughs> I'm a husk. I'm the last person who even knows this man, who this man was. <laughs> Please let me die in peace. I don't want you to use these lyrics. <laughs> no offense if Louis Prima has any family members alive and kicking out there. My apologies. Well, God, I um, so I do this kind of thing sometimes for work. And it is almost exactly how you say like you are finding the <laughs> oldest living relative sometimes. And you're like, like we, want do a, not want- we want to license a um, a, a dog. Um, vampire movie from you or whatever you know it's like that thing where you're like we want to ask you for this like ludicrous thing and they're like huh <laughs> the tennis balls are flying off the walker <laughs> make sure that nobody in your family has done some weird shit because you will be the last person alive and you will have to <laughs> invariably have some like weirdo approach you to try to get rights to that thing. You know what's going to happen to your nephews one day? Someone's going <laughs> to knock on their door when they're like 90 and they'll be like, um, we want to use this clip of your aunt from this thing that used to be called a podcast. Oh, God. Like, we just want to use this clip of her <laughs> ripping a new one. <laughs> That was before the robots took over the podcast industry. Exactly. They used to be digital and now they're just implanted directly in your head. Remember that? (laughs) They're going to get that zap and they'll be like, give me your aunt's likeness. And they'll be like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) You may scan my brain now. Thank you. (laughs) It'll be Mad Max Fury Road at that point. They'll be like, fine. Can I have some water in return? Like, Can we do a tradesies? (laughs) Can I barter for some water? You can have anything you want that my aunt did 90 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Speaking of you. What? We got a mailbag. Ooh. It's a nice mailbag. Is it? Uh, yeah. Thank you for telling me it's nice. I need I need to hear an, an, a nice mailbag. We got I got one teed up and ready to go for you. Thank you so much. How about this? It's from a listener named R, the initial R, and the subject is Filipina Girls Unite. Esteemed Queens. Now that's that's an opening. Love it. Esteemed Queens. I have wanted to write to you since your first episode dropped, but after today's, I could hold back no longer. Every week, I find myself laugh crying as you two once again strum my pain with your fingers and sing my life with your words. 
Secret high school club? Yes. Made my own clothes? Yes. Middle school metalhead? You know it. I, too, was a young misfit outcast, but y'all make me feel so seen. And nothing more so than today, hearing you talk about Inseong. Millie, I cannot thank you enough for bringing a Filipino director to my attention. My grandmother and great-grandmother fled the Philippines during World War II, and my great-grandmother never looked back, throwing herself into American culture. I was born and raised in Minnesota, not a lot of Filipinos around, and grew up completely disconnected from that part of my heritage. It has only been in the last few years that I've started to trace my genealogy and learn about the place and culture my family was forced to leave. Having grown up without seeing any Filipino representation that I can remember in film or other media, this really means the world to me. Thank you both so much for doing this podcast. I did my time in academia, and it is so gloriously refreshing to hear Black and brown ladies talk about art and culture rather than yet another white boy. Mm. Keep up the excellent work. What you're doing is actually incredibly powerful and important in addition to being fun and truly hilarious. With much love and appreciation, R. Oh, man, that's awesome. That's a tearjerker. Thank yeah, you, man. R. That's a good email. Thank you so much. Um, God, that's awesome. I loved that episode. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that um, you found something there, R. That's, that makes me very happy. And um, I love being an esteemed queen. That just sounds great. I mean, let's get tattoos. <laughs> We're going to make a hard fucking turn from Lino Braca and the art of the Philippines to our theme today. I'm going to try to tie it together. I mean, Filipinos love dancing. There you go. And maybe that is the, the segue. <laughs> it's not even that good of a segue. Oh, boy. Our theme this week is just because you can doesn't mean you should. just because you can doesn't mean you should we're basically this is probably going to be a recurring category a recurring theme and uh that's because we have a lot of remakes to talk about folks and we don't know how else to talk about them i i want to ask you something just generally Yeah. yeah so what is your immediate thought when it comes to a remake? Like, say somebody decided to remake one of your favorite films. No. Right? No. That's my, that's my immediate Absolutely. thought is no. <laughs> immediate thought, nope. Well, and I'm curious, is it because, because for me, I have my own answers, obviously. I think a lot of people do. Because I, I know certain people who, uh, like, are in whatever the intellectual property is and however far it goes into the universe, they are in with everything. And clearly I think you and I are, have a little bit more, you know, we have a more of a curatorial eye when it comes to this kind of thing. So I'm just curious, like, is it like, what are your reasons? It's just sort of like, what don't remake the thing that I like. I don't care. It's over. What do you think? Like, yeah, well, I I answered no pretty quickly because I meant it. But I will also (laughs) say that it depends on what the origin of the movie is for me personally. If it is something that I have seen as a child or saw when I was younger, 
I don't want to see the remake because I want to keep that moment in time kind of crystallized. And that's the version of the movie that I know best and will probably like best. You know, like I kind of it's too jarring for me to see the switching between the characters. And like in our movies today, it's like they use some of the dialogue, but then they change so much of the dialogue and it sounds weird coming out of other faces. So it's that kind of thing. If it's if it's a movie I've never seen before and there's been a remake, I'll give it a shot. I'll yeah. give it a shot. But like, if I've never seen it and I'm not familiar with the property and I'm not like tied to it. So it's more like for me, it's more about being tied to the emotional space of connecting when I first connected to the film. Right. So that's why I think I don't do the, the remakes. What about you, though? Well, this because I've been obviously mulling this over um, since we decided to do this episode. For me, I don't even think it's coming from a place where I'm like overprotective mm-hmm. of the original thing. Yeah. Um, because honestly, like I I like this movie, but I wasn't like obsessed by it. So I come from it from a place where I'm like not super protective of this thing and I don't want to see it be remade. For me, I think that I just feel like certain things are made within a specific time and place. Yes, that is also true. <laughs> and and modernizing it is sort of like, why? That's kind of how I feel. Like, this is happening so much, obviously, in current Hollywood. It has been happening for a long time, like, obviously, at least a decade or more, where they are taking, like, everything and just kind of, like, remaking it, you know, yep. um, adding character like their characters that now have their own movie and their own backstory and their own everything and there's a moment where i as a film lover i'm kind of like i don't know if i need to see that thought experiment (laughs) i don't know if i need to see that to the end in a lot of things that have happened that is a good point because it also brings up this notion as someone who loves graphic novels and you know comic books is there a difference between a remake and a continuation? So, for example, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when we were kids was a totally different bag of a movie than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles now. Yeah. And that, to me, doesn't qualify as a remake because that, to me, is just like you're continuing that universe with your new characters that you've developed maybe in a book or that you just want to spin out for another generation. Right. That I get. Like, that I totally get. I'm talking about, like, the movies where it's like, it had its own whole world dialogue and it told a complete story. That's the thing that I think is what qualifies as a remake to me. It told a complete story in the film and it doesn't need to be retold. Yeah. So I think what what's going to happen today in today's episode is that, you know, like I said, I'm sort of, you know, coming from a place where, again, I'm not overprotective of the original film. Right. But I totally think it's interesting to see what they did with this with this remake, because I don't even really think it almost feels like there are moments where it's like the exact same movie. And that is something that I feel like doesn't actually happen a lot in remakes. Like they don't really take a lot of the actual dialogue from the film, the first film, and put it in the remake. And so that's that's another interesting component to these films today. Um, but ultimately, the like there was how many years between these films, right? It was like 30 years 30. or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
30 years. <laughs> so different. And that'll be something that'll be really interesting to talk about, too. Yeah. I have my reasons for why it was made. I, or I have my thoughts on why Ooh, it was made. I'm so excited to hear. I'm so excited to hear. They're not that great, but they are thoughts. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I'm excited. I can't wait to talk about this. But well, um, let's get on into it, right? Yeah, you're going first. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. All right. Well, I'm here to tell you that our first film was released in 1984, directed by Herbert Ross, written by Dean Pitchford. And that movie is Footloose. He's the new kid in town and the music's on his side. Let's dance! Get going, <laughs> Let me give you a brief synopsis. Okay, a very brief synopsis. I've been trying to do my little one sentence synopsis. Let's see if it works. <laughs> Ren McCormick, dance machine, moves from Chicago to Beaumont, a small town with a quilt on every wall that has banned dancing after a group of teenagers dies on their way home from a party. And we pick up in this movie five years later. And all hell breaks loose? No, okay. And all dance breaks loose. What? Ah! <laughs> that's pretty good for that's a pretty good real tight short synopsis i love it just just a tight oneer there yeah um so this is really it's a movie that was just primed for the 80s i mean 1984 was so disgusting of a time it was it, dirtbag extraordinaire <laughs> it was greed and excess and just like this movie was coming for someone mm -hmm. and and it's here. <laughs> so <laughs> the cast, cast of characters is pretty cool. We've got Kevin Bacon playing Ren. Uh, Laurie Singer plays Ariel. And Ariel is the preacher's daughter. She's kind of wild. She totally wants out of town. Uh, and her brother was one of the people that died in the car crash. Mm -hmm. Then we have John Lithgow who plays the Reverend Shaw Moore. Um, and he's just like, he's real sweaty. He hates rock and roll. He's like the original PRMC. And he just bans everything that he doesn't like. Like, he's like, mint, ew, banned. Like, he just bans things <laughs> all over town. He don't like it. Bren, by the way, is a gymnast. And he just, like, lives for rock and roll. So he's a gymnast, dance machine, moves to the small town. Diane Weiss plays Vi Moore. She's the reverend's wife and real silent until the end, like real pensive looks until the mm -hmm. end. Um, Chris Penn plays Willard, who befriends Wren on his first day of school. Uh, Willard is like, he can't dance. He loves to fight and he can be wooed by a chicken leg the size of a baby. <laughs> like that's Willard. In a, in a nutshell. Um, totally forgot that Sarah Jessica Parker was in this movie. She plays Me Rusty, too. Willard's girlfriend. And yeah, and then you also have a cop that looks like Garth Marenghi. Like it's got this, this movie's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's got everything. So my main questions in this rewatch, because I have seen this movie several times on, yeah. you know, cable access, like just several times over the course of my life. And I'm one, I'm wondering, I know why they've banned dancing and loud music and all that stuff. But what I really want to know is why is the preacher the one running this town? Is there no government? And also, what is church probation? Because at one point they say, you know, Ren's uncle is like, you know, you're going to get put on regular probation and church probation. What is that? 
like you extra have to go to church because not going to church is not probation. So it's like church probation is you have to go more. Yeah. Hard to say. And and that's the other thing, too. That's an interesting difference between your movie and my movie is this idea that the preacher is like the moral center right. of an entire town. And, you know, I, I've lived in very small towns before, and I certainly understand the role that religion plays in law. I mean, I'm from Georgia right. for Christ's sake, but to me, it felt very like, um, wow. Like, if, and I guess I'm looking at it from a 2021 perspective, but it's that thing where I was like, man, he is, he's almost like going to people's houses and just sort of like selling them on all the ideas and there yeah. everybody's on board. And then like everybody on the, on the city council or whatever is like totally cool with it. So I'm yeah. like, wow. There's, okay. there's that one scene where, um, you know, Ren eventually does go to try to go to city council to get the law, the ban against dancing removed. And his boss tells him that, oh, yeah, like Reverend Moore walked in with votes in his pocket. Like, that's the kind of town it is. And he's very influential. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. So Ren lands in town. Girls in church are all staring. Ariel's trying to play it cool like she doesn't think he's hot. It's fine. Ren is Ren is focused on other shit. He and his mom just moved to this place from Chicago. He's got he's got to make some money and get the fuck out of here. So he gets a job at the factory, basically from the graveyard shift. <laughs> exactly. Like this fucking <laughs> rat covered factory where the rats are like smoking cigarettes and drinking martinis. <laughs> and he's hucking bags of flour, which, by the way, now that I'm at my advanced age, uh, he refuses to lift with his knees like Kevin yes. Bacon. The folly of youth right there. He'll be needing lumbar support later in life. Let's just oh, say that. surely there's some copper braces in his closet for sure. Um, but Ren very quickly gets a reputation as like a rebel and a bad kid because he listens to music and he fights back. Right. So he's kind of getting this this reputation. And there's one particular montage a dance montage where he's like just dancing out his emotion um p.s kenny Loggins just running running all over this soundtrack just up and down okay <laughs> doing a doing an emotional dance to kenny Loggins. that was 1984 in a nutshell they absolutely had this song playing at every moment they could and I get it. It's infectious. It's one of those 80s songs. They play them at a wedding. It's like everybody's on their feet going ape shit. Um, there's a moment where <laughs> I think it's Ariel. Ariel's having a conversation with Ren and they're sort of talking and she hands him this like trinket box. Yeah. <laughs> and he and he opens the box. And I swear to God, I was like, I bet you Footloose is going to come out of that box. <laughs> But like the the twinkly version of because they'll they'll give you an acoustic footloose, they'll give you an interstitial footloose. They've got it all, baby. They got it all in this dance scene. They got the body double from Gleaming the Cube. <gasps> Did they? Really? I couldn't believe it. No, I don't know who it was, but it was like so. <laughs> it was so unrecognized. It was so like purely recognizably not Kevin Bacon. Yes that I instantly went to Gleaming the Cube. I'm like, come on. <laughs> Same spiky hair. Too tall. 
but he's just doing just throwing himself around he found parallel bars in this old warehouse like he's just doing it um so that scene is just again a classic an iconic scene for for better or worse um but as we get deeper into the story, we're getting into this story with Chuck, uh, who's Ariel's boyfriend, and he hates Ren, hates Ren so much, uh, challenges Ren to a, a tractor fight, which is like chicken, like where they're, you know, tractors at either end kind of getting closer to each other till someone decides to jump off. Yes. Um, so he, in this town, again, in Beaumont, you cannot dance. You'll be thrown in jail for, jail for dancing, but you can buy beer. You can buy cigarettes, you can have sex, and you can race tractors into each other. <laughs> Would you not just rather have someone do a fucking two-step? These kids well, are I mean, pent I'm... up, man. These kids are pent up. You could actually kill more people with a tractor chicken fight. Thank um, you. Versus dancing. Um, so it feels like the priorities in this town are a little fucked. They're if you a little know what fucked. I mean. And yeah. I love this. This scene is fantastic because... For, for two reasons. One, my initial thought is, whose fucking tractors are these? Because I think they're his dad's tractors, Chuck's dad. But like, why would you total your own family farm equipment? That made no sense to me. But Chuck's pump up song is I Need a Hero. So he goes and gets blazed. And then he's like, I'm going to race tractors. What do I need? I need a hero. That's his fucking pump up song. Yeah. He's like, man, this sissy new wave guy that came to town. I fucking hate him. But I love Bonnie Tyler. <laughs> it is incredible. It is incredible. But these kids, again, like they can't dance, but they can do everything else to the point where there's a scene where Ariel is showing uh, showing Ren the library, which is where they go and kind of like write lyrics on the walls and listen to their contraband tapes and all the kids in town know about it. Which, of course, by the way, if you live in a place where all the kids in town know about it, all the adults do, too. You're not getting away with shit. Exactly. But they're here. They're here at the, the library. And she's like, you know what else we do for fun around here? And she goes out and stands in front of a train, holds her hand out and screams as it's coming towards her. And she's playing chicken with a train. And look, I cannot take this kind of energy. I am a very risk averse person. Yes. This is not my kind of friend. Her energy in this movie was chaotic. She at the beginning of this film. Is literally on a desolate two-lane highway standing on two cars <laughs> as they're driving side by side and she's doing this barreling down this road as an 18-wheeler comes from the other direction. I mean, look, it's Beaumont. You can't dance, but you can use cars as roller skates. <laughs> I was like, damn, this girl needs kicks. That energy, like, because her friends were really upset when she did the car thing. And yes. they met up at, like, you know, the kind of the, the diner later. And she was like, hey, guys. And they're like, fuck you. I would that that was me through and through. Like, I would never talk to her again if she did that with me. I'm, I was such a scaredy cat when I was that age. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I don't need this. I don't need this. If that was a friend of mine, I would be like. I can't watch. I can't watch. Like, this is, you know, like, she's like, hey, girl, running in front of a train. <laughs> hey, Ariel, how about you just come over and we just talk? Like, why don't we just talk in my basement for for a couple hours with some s'mores? Like, let's just have you not literally rolling yourself in front of an 18 wheeler to get your fucking kicks. Maybe you just need to talk. Talk it out. Ah, oh, my God. Let's pierce our ears. Let's have like a, a night in, Ariel. <laughs> 
Errol like does him. not have a night in in this in this movie. Not a single no, night. No, ma'am. Um, but I did forget. I actually forgot that her boyfriend Chuck actually beats her pretty badly in this movie. Like it's pretty jarring. Yeah, it's really jarring, and he's a real a bastard. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, because now she's she's fallen for Ren, she's fallen for him. So Chuck gets mad and he hits her after she smashes his windshield. Um, so Ren is kicked off the gymnastics team, and that's when he decides to get his revenge by having a dance. So he's going to go to city council and he's going to read from a Bible that Ariel's marked up for him about all the times that all the Bible folk were dancing and he loses. So (laughs) the band stays in place. But luck of luck, the graveyard shift factory is not actually in Beaumont. It's right over the town line. So his boss is like, why don't you just have the dance here? And that is when all hell breaks loose. So you've got Ariel yelling at her dad post getting beaten up by her boyfriend. She's yelling about not being a virgin in the middle of church, like just cannot read a room at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Ren has to go and win the pastor over so they can, you know, he can have his permission to take Ariel to the dance. And it works. It works. He gets to take Ariel to the dance. They get to have the dance. And let me tell you, this dance has everything. 40 year old divorcees, Greeks or Taki dancers, uncoordinated hedgehogs, narcoleptic horses, and the vanilla popper. Excuse me. I need a moment. I'm cutting you off. No, I, I specifically put that last so that you could talk about it. All right, people. So, you know, I like a dance movie. All right. So clearly the ending of Footloose was very much a thing I watched. Over and over and over again, right? Um, there is a person in the dance sequence. He is the extremely tall blonde guy in the tuxedo that is doing the popping and locking routine. Okay. When I first saw that, I was literally like, he is my God. I will follow him anywhere. Okay. I'm talking about years. It's been years, like at least 10 years, at least like since my old live journal days, (laughs) where I was obsessed with finding out who this guy was. Okay. I have searched the internet high and low for this person. Like, I'm like, who is this guy? I need to know his name. I need to know his story. Even if he's just like a professional backup dancer working in Hollywood, I don't care. I want to know who this is. So I have Googled it every type of way you can. <laughs> I've, I've Googled white guy, footloose dance sequence, footloose dancer popping and locking, break dancing guy at footloose <laughs> sequence. Like I've done it all kinds of ways. I've only been able to find two things. And I'm talking about this has been years that even recognize the person in the film at all. <laughs> and one of them is a YouTube clip where... They call the guy the vanilla popper. <laughs> okay. And the that is literally the funniest name for anyone. I don't know if that was his name because, again, I don't know who he is. But it was that thing where I just found the video and then I was like, well, who, well, who is the vanilla popper? Somebody in the comments. No, nobody in the comments mentioned it. And then later I found a... um. Twitter post that was made many years ago talking about the vanilla popper <gasps> and it, and it was just a tweet that said here's the vanilla popper or something LA street dancer 
That's all I know about him. And I'm just like, what is the story with the vanilla popper? Is he alive? Is he out there? Will he be on this fucking podcast? Like, who is he? Guess what? We just created a spinoff show. (laughs) Spinoff podcast, baby. Find the vanilla popper. And we got to call Kevin Bacon first and foremost. (laughs) Kevy Bakes? Who was this dude? Did you get a first name? Do you remember it? It's been 40 years. Do you remember it? Okay. And here's the other thing about this because Kevin Bacon knows something. I know he does because here's the thing. There's a scene with the vanilla popper of during that sequence at the end where they're doing that little shuffle foot dance and he is with Kevin Bacon. So it wasn't the kind of thing where Kevin Bacon did not work with him that day that (gasps) the vanilla popper was popping and locking in the scene. They were in the scene together. So they had to have at least talked. Am I right? (gasps) All right. We're doing this spinoff pod. Find the vanilla popper. Get Jensen (laughs) and holes on it. Karen and Georgia. This is a company wide mission now. We're fighting the vanilla popper. Is your is your dad the vanilla? Actually, at this point, is your granddad the vanilla popper? Oh, my God. I know. Are you working in a nursing home with someone who can't stop popping and locking? Please contact us. I need to know. I just I just want to I want to communicate just how formative he was. Yes. For me over the years as like. A dancer with some level of whimsy, not a professional one, just a just a pedestrian dancer who loves watching dance things. We're going to find it, folks. Leave it to us. We got this. I will dedicate (laughs) the rest of my year to finding this man, even if we just end with finding his grave and we go and pour one out. (laughs) Well, you know, I got to tell you that I have another favorite character in this Bill. Is it Willard? It, it, I love Willard. Who doesn't love Willard? Because we haven't mentioned Willard yet, but he was really fun in this movie. Um, and he his whole his whole arc, his whole story arc is that Ren basically tells him, yeah, I'll go fight city council if you learn how to dance. Because poor Willard just doesn't know how to dance. And Rusty, his girlfriend, wants him to dance and he won't. And he gets in fights because of it. And he learns how to dance and it's adorable. But who's your favorite other character? Well, no, I was going to say I love Willard, of course, forever. Um, but I got to tell you, I love Woody, who is played by John Laughlin, like just the hunkiest, bow hunkiest dude. <laughs> He's also a good wingman. Like when they're getting on that tractor and he's like, all right, do this with the brake, do this, do that. Like, you'll be fine. He's 100%. a good wingman. He puts those guys in the phone booth and I'm like, oh, my God. Be still my beating heart, Woody. Woody is your name, huh? I see why. <laughs> and it's just it's amazing what just a normal ass dude can do to raise yeah. the old blood pressure. <laughs> it's like you're sticking up with your friends and you're just like a normal old dude. Man, love it. And like later... He kind of has this look like there's later in the big dance sequence at the end. He um, is wearing like Clark Kent glasses and then his lady pulls the glasses off. And I'm like, hello, <laughs> get, get you a man who could do both. It's like he's a, he's like a stud, like big muscle stud. But then he wears glasses sometimes. Yes. Woody, did you dance with Vanilla Popper? Get in touch. <laughs> John Laughlin. <laughs> please 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 and this is here's and just to wrap this up a little bit like this is a good movie 
but it's not the best movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's a good movie. It's like totally it's a good just hang out on the couch. This is one of those like Saturday afternoon. You just finished cleaning your house and you just want to chill and it's on and you're like, yeah, I'll watch this. Yeah. And that dance scene at the end still makes me very happy. Just watching people go buck. Like, I just I love it. I love you feel the energy of that movie for sure. And it's like the simplicity of it. All they wanted to do was have a dance and they did it and the movie ended and that was it. Gotta love you, 1984. Yeah, it, it's it's definitely teen movie territory. Totally gets the job done in that regard. There's cute people all over it. There's like a, a, a fight in the man story. It's great. And then there's yours. <laughs> Buckle up. Are you ready? <laughs> so we've given you the original and now we're giving you the remake so my movie for the theme of just because you can doesn't mean you should is from 2011 it was directed by craig brewer and it's called footloose we cannot be missing from our children's lives they are ours to protect Public dancing among Beaumont's minors will be in violation of the law. Same screenwriter, same screenwriter. Same same screenwriter. Also, Craig Brewer, the director, um, mm. co-wrote it. So, like I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, I'm a little weary of remakes normally. So this remake, in a lot of scenes, it's literally... A scene by scene remake. Like there are moments where there's literally the same dialogue happening. And that's very interesting to me. Um, I'll get to that in just a moment. But I I would be remiss if I did not tell people that this version of Footloose was filmed and takes place in Georgia. <laughs> holla holla. <laughs> the town is called Beaumont, by the way. It's just now in Georgia. Um, and I don't know where it was before Oklahoma. I don't know either. I think it was yeah somewhere somewhere in they they don't really say they kind of. Yeah. I think they leave it nebulous because it could be any small town. Yeah, but it it definitely was Georgia because I was like, oh, there's the drive-in that I fell down at and broke my finger uh, one time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that's they filmed that at the Starlight. Um, you know, gotta love it. But anyway, I just want to start by saying that everything I say past this point will be couched by what i'm about to say right now and it is everyone in this movie who is not miles teller can go to hell (laughs) just keep that in mind as i discuss this film (laughs) everyone who is not miles teller can go to hell even andy mcdowell how do you everyone (laughs) all of them all of them all right Duly noted. I'll so I'll so the let the record be shown. So this time, Ren is played by a young man named Kenny Wormald. Okay. He is a professional dancer, if you don't know. He was in a shit ton of films and TV that are loosely a part of the dancing cinematic universe, if you will. He was in You Got Served. He was in the made-for-TV movie Center Stage, Turn It Up. And on a personal note, he co-owns this dance studio in Los Angeles that was two blocks from my old apartment in West Hollywood called Playground LA. 
And he I tried co-owns to owns that. He co-owns it. And it is a place where I attempted to take a intro to hip hop dance class once and fucking left because everyone in the class was too good. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is an intro to dance. This is an intro to hip hop. This this should be okay. I'm not saying I'm a good dancer, but I'm not Willard. Okay. <laughs> um, I swear to God, there was like Britney Spears backup dancers taking this class. Like I was like, I gotta leave. I'm, I simply must go. I will say too that the character of Ariel is also played by a professional dancer, Julianne Huff, who most people know from Dancing with the Stars and America's Got Talent. And honestly, like this is the first thing that I noticed about this remake, okay, is that the leads are professional dancers. Mhm. Okay. And and I'm not going to front like for a movie that was being made in the modern era like this, of course they're professional dancers, right? Like, there's no way that Hollywood is making a dance-themed movie without casting professional dancers at this point. Not in this day and age. And I, I have my, my theory. This kind of plays into my theory about why and how this remake even got made. And it is because, culturally, we are at a point where dancing and these kinds of TV shows that are like, you know, the reality TV dance shows have taken the fuck over. Yep. So it's like, let's feed the masses and give them more dance with some people they already know. Absolutely. 100 percent. Too many dance things have happened at this point when this movie was made. Right. Because you had all the step up movies. You had Save the Last Dance. You had Honey. You had all that stuff. Right. And at this point in 2011, the professional dancer to dance movie pipeline is real short. And very Mm -hmm. direct. So it totally makes sense that these two professional dancers were cast in Footloose, which is one of the most popular dance movies ever. Right. For me, knowing that and 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 knowing that they are cast as the leads in this film, I'm just basically, oh, they hired professional dancers and they also have to act. Right. The charm of the first movie is that all those people sucked at dancing. Right. Except for Vanilla Popper, we know. But I'm just saying, the leads of the film, they all sucked at dancing. Like, for the most part, they weren't professional. I I don't think they were professional dancers. I mean, I don't know if SJP was, like, you know, doing some classical ballet shit or something. But for the most part, they were not great at dancing. And that that made it fun for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's why I think the the 80s version really made you, or for me, I think it made me just kind of instantly aware of how personal dancing is from the beginning where you're seeing the singular pairs of feet dancing around. And this version, you're just starting out with a bunch of like red cup holding teens shout dancing. And that just doesn't make me want to dance. Like choreographed red cup dances is not my jam. And it was not personal. They took it out of the personal and made it more of a, you know, a community thing. And it didn't work. It didn't work for me. Here's a group of professional dancers pretending to be loose at a party. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was like a a choreographed dance sequence at every moment. Right. And the funny thing is, is that even Miles Teller. okay, so Miles Teller plays the Willard character. okay. Even he knows how to dance a little bit. Like, he's not a bad dancer at all. Um, Yeah. Like, when you see him in the famous sequence of when Willard learns to dance, when Ren teaches him how to dance, 
Miles Teller is like body rolling by the end of it. Exactly. Okay. Fully. Which that's not Chris Penn. Chris Penn is like still like I, I don't know what I'm doing even after <laughs> learning all of this shit in the sequence. Chris Penn is still Frankensteining. <laughs> And yes, I know Frankenstein was not the monster, it was the nagger. But he's Frankensteining. He's heavy yes. footing it all over the place. Absolutely. So I feel like this obviously got leveled up in a big way when it yeah. comes to the dancing, which to me, I think makes it less charming than the first one. Well, and the type of dancing, too, because I think that especially like I, I truly don't know Julianne Huff from Adam. I don't like mm. it's not my generation. I never heard of her before. Yes. Um. But she does a kind of dance, as do most people in the movie, where it's just all hair. It's like, I'm going <laughs> to thrust a hip and then I'm just going to whip my head around for about five minutes and I'm going to thrust a hip. And that is not dancing to me either. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. Listen, there was so many blonde, low light extensions being whipped <laughs> around in this film. I was having. I was triggered. I'll just say it. I the, was tumble, the tumble weaves on that set were mighty. <laughs> Maybe. I I have to say though, Miles My, Teller is my favorite person in this movie. And like you said, Completely. everyone can go to hell except for Miles Teller. I have a fondness for this Miles Teller character because he kind of reminds me of guys that I grew up with who were like these southern good old boys, but then you could like take them into the city and they would sort of like let go of their shit and just be like yeah. super fun. That's what I liked about his character. Ex- he seemed he like that great. kind of guy. Yeah. He was great. He was so fun. He had the best lines. He's an actual actor. Like he was dope. He was so cute. It was just ador- it was just adorable to watch his trajectory in the film. Yeah. And I I liked him the most. Um and I also feel like um the guy who plays the uncle in this one, Uncle Wes. Yes. It's like such a departure for him cuz Uncle Wes is played by Ray McKinnon, who is an incredible actor. And he created the TV series Rectify, which if you have not seen it, do yourself the favor and watch it immediately. He's like a beautiful filmmaker. So to see him as Uncle Wes, I was like, wait, what? What's that? Yeah. And this is one of the things that changed from the first movie. So there's certain certain plots. There are certain things that are essentially the same as the first film. But then... For this film, Ren, instead of being from Chicago, he's now from Boston and he's coming to Georgia to live with his aunt and uncle. And it turns out that the mom from the first film actually died, which bums me the fuck out. The actress died? No, no, no. The mom character died. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So the mom character who was in the first film, she came down with Ren so in the second film, she's dead. So he shows up alone. And I know that the mom didn't have like a ton of lines in the first film. But I also I loved that she was in the film because honestly, in the first film, she's present and she's almost as exasperated as Ren is about yeah. this like weird town. Like she said something like she calls him like David Bowie or something like that. Yeah. And you can tell <laughs> that she's at least understanding where he's coming from. Exactly. Okay? And so in the remake, the mom is no longer there. And now the uncle 
feels more present and sort of less judgy than right. the uncle from the first film. Yeah. And the uncle from the first film was very much like, here's what this town does. We we play it by the book, like rules, rules, rules. And this uncle was not that. Yeah. This uncle kind of stands up for Ren throughout the film and he gets him out of a ticket at the courthouse. Like it's like he, the uncle is like, he's not the first film uncle. He's like a different character. They do also make him sleep in a garage, though. They do. I mean, in Georgia, I would have I would have problems with that. <laughs> um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, OK, there are truly exact word for word dialogue scenes happening. Yep. And I'll just tell you this. I watched the, these two movies back to back in mm-hmm. true double feature fashion. And I have to say, maybe I shouldn't have done that. because when you've when you've done that the second film will definitely feel like some weird ghost yeah okay especially knowing that the dialogue is the same in a lot of in a lot of these scenes but there's also like differences like i said the uncle is different the mom is no longer in the picture and this town preacher character okay okay so dennis quaid plays the preacher in this film and he just looks like he's on the verge of tears for the whole movie it's very uncomfortable yes and i will argue that the john lithgow preacher seems like he's he's very much more fire and brimstone he's kind of the scary rural black suit preacher that we kind of think about when we see like movies about the south or something like that Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's because like modern preachers now are way more like clued into like the modern world and there's like mega church preachers now like preachers have like podcasts and are like cool now you know what i'm saying so to me it felt like dennis quaid's preacher character what to me he didn't feel scary and he didn't feel like he he didn't he wasn't really selling me on the idea that he was running this town with an iron fist there's this moment too where i feel like you know i don't know like the the whole cause like the whole cause of wrens to like get these people out of their backwards thinking and like dance their lives away doesn't feel as important (laughs) right right and i don't know why but there's no stakes for this for me in this movie no stakes and like and and to me it's 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 just sort of like the whole like i said i think it's just time i think it's just time i think it's the modern era that kind of rendered maybe the idea that this town was remote and off the grid and sort of that kind of thing it, it rendered it kind of like a non-issue or something right but the thing about it is like there are these like little moments of the film where you know like ren shows up to his uncle's house and the uncle gives him this like broken down uh vw beetle to fix up just like kevin bacon drives in the first one and like new jack ren seems real bummed about it and i'm like yo it's a free car so he also fixes it in like an hour. So like, yeah. what the shit? He's like, I'm good with engines. Oops, the car's running. I guess it's fine. I'm like, what? Yes. He's not even <laughs> invested in it at all in the process of fixing the car. Yes. And like, there's a scene where that sequence where he's fixing up the car and he's kind of going through the garage. And he's thumbing through these like old records. And of course, he finds that like quiet riot 
metal health album because yep. that's the thing the first ran is like listening to bang your head over and over and over again and he's like throwing these records and then he finds this like tanya tucker album and he throws it aside and i uh-uh. screamed i was uh-uh. like how very dare you throw a tanya tucker album you little fucker how dare you <laughs> He lost you real early. Yes. I was like, oh, no, please do not desecrate this fine piece of music. The other thing I love about this this VW is you watch him driving it throughout the movie. There's a scene where he gets really pissed and he speeds away from Ariel. There is nothing funnier than someone who's angry trying to leave in a Volkswagen making that like like that noise. So he's speeding away and it sounds like Herbie, the fucking love bug, is just like... It is the funniest scene in that film. <laughs> Having to make a dramatic exit in a piece of shit car. I mean, Beautiful. who hasn't been there, right? <laughs> um, I want to talk about Ariel, though, for real. Let's because let me just sit, let me just tell you, this new Ariel, I mean, she is tame by old Ariel standards. Okay? Thank you. Very tame. There's a scene um where the new ariel goes down to like whatever the dirt track pit is to see her boyfriend right like the the kind of much like the boyfriend in the first film he's also kind of this like real country guy um and he goes down to see him he's a dirt track driver and there's like this big dangerous moment where she like runs onto the track and gets in the car and sits out the window as her boyfriend is like doing his like victory lap and i'm like i'm sorry did you see the first movie where ariel stood on two moving cars thank you (laughs) this is like just sipping water on the sidelines compared the first ariel the og ariel is the kind of person who would like drink motor oil on a dare like this Ariel's like, look at me sitting on a car. And she's like, look at me flipping a car. That is the difference. <laughs> yeah. New Jack Ariel, I gotta say. Um, she didn't, I don't know. Her kicks are much different, much tamer, in my opinion. Yeah. But also, I gotta tell you, the the her boyfriend, the new boyfriend is way scarier. In way my scarier. Opinion. He's like a grown ass man. <laughs> He's a grown ass man, and he is straight up sketch as fuck. <laughs> Like him, like the drug dealer character, like his friend who's the drug dealer that tries to like plant the joint on Ren. That motherfucker was sketchy as hell. Totally. I was like, wow. This is these guys are 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 bad news all around. Also, the chicken fight tractor scene. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. In the in the remake, that shit was replaced by some kind of extreme, intense school bus situation. Tell me what was happening there. What was that with the goofy buses? Okay, they were like demolition derbying actual fucking school buses. Okay, these are buses on fire. I'm like, who the (laughs) fuck is letting this happen? We talked about the tractors. Who gave them these tractors? Who the fuck is got school buses on fire? But you can't dance. Don't you dare dance. You die in that fire. Don't you dare dance. <laughs> Don't you wiggle that leg. Don't you wiggle a toe. How dare you? We can, literally, we can literally be having the same outcome as the whole reason why this movie happened. Exactly. Every second Every of this second. scene. 
but don't you dance. Don't you goddamn dare. Everything these kids do, it's like we're in the parking lot of this drive-in diner movie place. P.S. Crumping professionally. Like if you're in a town where dancing is banned, where did you learn to do that? Okay. And they're just like every they're just like rolling under cars. Everything they do is 10 times worse than dancing and 10 times more dangerous than what these kids did. Okay, listen, I'm happy that they thought to put in some non-white people in this version, I have to say. However, they fully, this is a town that doesn't allow dancing, yet they fully take over a damn drive-in. Like, all of these students take over a damn drive-in, and the preacher is there watching it happen, and nothing is really happening. So I'm like, I feel like those kids find a way to get wild. That's all I'm saying. And they have since before Ren even showed up. So exactly. I don't get the sense that Ren needs to get in front of the this, this city council to protect their right to dance. I was like, yo, they're exactly. doing it. So they're learning it somewhere because they are truly professional dancers out there, like crumping. So they are getting it from somewhere. And unlike the first movie where they not only didn't dance, they were so hard up for fun that they were like, let's I don't know, let's go in the river and hold each other underwater for 10 minutes and see if it can come out and breathe. Like they were just so hard up for fun. And you did not get the same impression with this group of kids at all. Yes, absolutely. That's what it is. They just didn't feel like they were hard up enough. Right. That's that's all. Totally. All right. And I need to say this. I really need to say this. And I hope it doesn't ruffle any feathers. But I'm about what I'm about to say is completely a personal taste thing. Okay. Gotcha. I know that this entire franchise is based on rural life. Okay. But the first film was a little bit more like urban cowboy. Mm. And the second is way more like Keith Urban. Okay, it's this like new country style where it's sort of like country mixed with rap or something. I mean, I got to tell you that shit is my worst nightmare, honestly. (laughs) And like, oh, my God, the music. I just they did this thing where they like got like modern artists to remake the original from the first movie to remake the original music from the first movie. And it is simply the worst it's unbearable cannot okay the acoustic i need a hero oh i i don't i can't even i couldn't even deal with it and like listen again i know that this is me i simply just prefer shalimar to like big and rich i simply do okay but like blake shelton sir this is no disrespect to you but what the fuck i cannot with this like remake of footloose i just cannot and like the whole thing with ariel too like we said before this like it's like this glam southern gal look okay i've spent i have spent 30 years in the south and i swear to god the that look of like the low rise jean shorts with the cowboy boots and like the free people like (laughs) crochet vest with over like a real tiny top i mean that is just not my thing i just can't (laughs) i mean no disrespect but seriously for me it hurts it just hurts yeah it's a whole yeah it's it's there's something about it that instantly says no to me and i don't know what it is the whole like country with vocorder stuff was happening and i'm like what 
Like, no, I can't with this. It's Have you ever watched um, Bo Burnham has a special on Netflix called Make Happy? No, I haven't seen it. And he does a really funny song about this kind of new country stuff. It's really funny. Mm. And you know me, I'm not country verse. We've talked about this. Yeah. Me and your grandmother share a love of Alabama. I'm okay. 100%. But with this new stuff, I just could not. The music was too much. I also, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the thing that made me laugh the most, which absolutely should not have. (laughs) In this high school, this is three years later, right? After this accident, which, by the way, they started with the accident, which I think also bummed me out. Yes. Because starting with the accident, like, I don't know these kids yet. They're having fun and they're dead. And it's just like, it was heavy. It was almost too heavy. Mm. Um, But in this school... There is a glass case tribute for these children that died in this car accident. And along the bottom, there's a little engraving that says, you will be missing from our lives. And then as they pan up to the photo of the five kids together in a small frame, underneath in smaller print, it says, you will be missing from our lives. Like, that's all they can say about these motherfuckers. You'll be missing from our lives. It's like a little ghost whisper. Like, you'll be missing from our lives. Yeah, you'll be missing from our lives. Like, it made me laugh so goddamn hard. If I die in a fiery wreck and all you can say about me on a plaque is, you're going to be missing from our lives. Come up with something else. Please. Don't say it twice. Just use it the one time. Definitely don't say it twice. Whatever you're going to say about me. Make it hit that first time. Make it pop. <laughs> if you go back and watch that scene, you will be missing from our lives. It, it leveled me. I was out. I was laughing for 20 minutes. I had to stop the movie. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, just listen. I mean, like I said, I'm not overprotective of the first Footloose. It's fine. It's a totally great movie. It's, it's, it's totally just like effervescent fun. I watch it when it's on. But I'm not. But I'm also saying that this remake did not need to be two hours long either. (laughs) Did you? I was. There was a point where I genuinely stopped the movie, and I'm like, "How much longer do we have here?" Like, I was really concerned that I'd lost time somehow because it felt like it was going on for ages. Two hours. Two hours of that fake Boston accent. (laughs) I'm from Boston. I couldn't. I, I will say this is my age talking, but I swear, like the new Ren was not new wave enough for me. Nope. He showed up with his with his coat hooked over his shoulder on a little finger like a European model <laughs> with some expensive Ray-Bans. He was not at all alt enough for me. <laughs> exactly. I was like, you look like a guy that would live here. I don't exactly. like exactly like to me. You're dressed like everybody else in your school, so I don't really know. Uh, and he, you're not he getting does the that, looks. You yeah, know? he does that thing too when he dances, where he goes ha. <laughs> it's like so, so distracting to me in certain instances where it's like someone's just dancing, and then they just go ha ha ha, and I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> Poo pa. He's like giving a second performance with his breathing. <laughs> I mean, listen, okay. We this is how I feel. Again, personal opinion about this. Um, but 
you know, I don't know. I honestly encourage everybody to see it for themselves, make their own damn minds up. But for me, I was a little like, did this need to happen? Maybe not. Just because you can doesn't mean you should sometimes. And when it comes down to it, there was zero vanilla popper in the remake. And so it's a no. It's just a simply a no for me. Because if anyone could have found the vanilla popper, it would have been them. Exactly. They managed to recreate literally like the same scenes from the first one and they could not find the vanilla popper. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I did. I liked doing this. uh, Just because you can doesn't mean you should theme, though. I think we should do it again for sure. Wow. 30 years have gone by and have changed what Footloose could be. (laughs) It truly did. It truly did. I mean, there's not even enough time in the day to talk about that mason jar chandelier. (laughs) That that dance ended in shards and tears and you know it. I was like, somebody went on Pinterest and looked up barnyard wedding and went to town on that prom. Honestly. Went ham. This was fun. This was good. Do you want to tell them what's coming up for uh, next week? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Are you ready? I'm ready. (laughs) I'm excited to tell you guys this. All right. The movies for next week are RoboCop from 1987 and Terminator 2 Judgment Day from 1991. What's that theme? Oh, my God. <laughs> Does it even matter at this point? What a couple of bangers? What else do you want? It's a couple of bangers. That's every every theme. It's just it's a banger. <laughs> what more do you want from us? Um, well, I just want to remind you all that if you're interested in our merch, we have it for you. We've got lots of different items in lots of different sizes. We've got pins. We've got stickers. It's over at the Exactly Right shop on exactlyrightmedia.com. And if you really want to hear more from us, which, come on, why wouldn't you? Uh, We've got a bunch of bonus episodes up at Stitcher Premium. You can use the promo code SAW for a free month. So what's stopping you? Yeah. And also, we're going to answer a lot more viewer mail on the bonus episodes because we get a lot of it and so we were like why don't we just do some for bonus so that might be a fun way to listen for emails and other things that we don't do on the main feed a lot so check it out thanks well thanks for buying my book if you did yes please do the ugly cry came out today baby it's gonna be great thanks friend until next week See you next time. Mark one. Mark one. Mark one. Mark one. Kick off your mark one. This has been an Exactly Right production. Our producer is Alexis Amorosi. Our engineer is Annalise Nelson. Our social media manager is Taryn Mazza. Our theme song is by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgareth, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. Email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. And please don't forget to listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. 